Uh, please turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 13. So my name is Drew Mines. Uh, my girlfriend and I, uh, Jenny Bernardini, uh, we actually have been in Charlottesville the past two years. And uh, we've been leading the church out there in the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, your brothers and sisters is a couple hours west of here. We were actually there yesterday for, um, for a wedding, uh, which was great. Uh, and uh, good news comes out from Charlottesville. So many great things. They've had uh, two baptisms each of the past two Sundays. And another baptism here this Sunday. Uh, so uh, three of those are campus ministry. The campus at UVA, not when, when Jenny and I arrived, uh, praise God, uh, was was three, and now it's uh, nine. Uh, so, uh, so God is blessing it out there. Uh, so many great things happening out there. And so they, they send their love. Uh, and uh, it's great even to be reminded of the scope of God's kingdom, that it's not just those in this room, but it is our brothers and sisters who, are, who fight the same fight all over the world. But in Luke chapter 13, we're going to continue. We had a great uh, lesson last week on one of the more powerful parables that Jesus tells uh, you know, he, he says, listen, there's a, there's a narrow door and you've got to make every effort to get through it. Uh, because many, I say, and he does this quite a lot where he says many and few. He says many, I say, will, will try, uh, but only a few will, will make it. And, and for a lot of you out there, you know, uh, many will come from the east, west, north and south and sit at the table with your spiritual heroes and eat with them and you'll be left out. Wow. And Jesus, just be right as he finishes this story, uh, we pick up in Luke 1331. You know, I grew up in L.A. for the most part. Grew up kind of all over the place. Uh, my parents worked in the full-time ministry, so we were in Kansas for a bit. We were in Texas for a bit. We were in L.A. for a bit. Uh, but while we were in L.A., one of my uh, most uh, fond memories was we had a season pass to Disneyland. You know, and I loved that as a kid. I loved going to Disneyland. Uh, we, always, we got one treat while we were there. I always got the churro. It's uh, so fleeting, the churro. It's so... It's only like four bites and it's gone, but, but I love getting the churro. We all got our one thing. And, but when I was a kid, I remember one time when I was a kid, I must have been six or seven years old, and on the way to Disneyland, we went, uh, my family was going, and I, um, I told my parents, I said, I would love to go see the merry-go-round today, you know, the carousel. And they said, okay, Drew, that's, that's great, uh, we'll do that. So we're at Disneyland, and of course we go to... Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, it's my brother's favorite, so we go there. And then my dad always liked It's a Small World. I don't know why, you know, but he liked It's a Small World, kind of a kiddie ride, but he liked that one. And so we're kind of doing each ride that everyone wants. And, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and when you're in a big group, well, lots of people, uh, you know, you're, my mom especially, uh, she, they want to keep you close. They don't want you to get lost. And so I always used to give my mom a hard time because whenever I was in a crowd, she would squeeze my hand really tight. And I, would, and I but because she didn't want to lose me. And she didn't want me to move away. And, you know, it's a big crowd, especially Disneyland. You don't want to get lost at Disneyland. That's a, that's a bad thing. So my mom would always hold my hand really tight. But, you know, there's three kids. You can't hold three kids' hands. And, and you know, so as the day goes on, I'm thinking, I want to see the merry-go-round. I want to see the carousel. We haven't gone yet. Oh, no. And so I sort of make an executive decision. Some of you can see where this is going. Uh, so I sort of make an executive decision at the age of six and says, you know what? I thought I was qualified. And I said, you know what? I can see the merry-go-round. It's right there. My family's right here. I'm just going to go sort of check it out, breathe it all in, get a sense of it, my dream, 
come true. I don't know why I wanted to see it so bad. But and I said, you know what? I can see my family. They're here. So I'm just going to walk over here and just sort of check out the merry-go-round. So I did. I walk over and I'm sort of staring up at it. And I don't know how much time goes by, but I'm mesmerized by it. Um, and I turn around and, and my family's gone. And I remember thinking that this was bad. Um, and sort of all those things you get taught as a kid, like they teach you to wait, uh, stay where you are when you're lost. Or they teach you to find a grown-up. or All the rules were like overlapping. I didn't know what to do. Um, and so I was like, well, I guess I'll just stay here. Maybe I'll get in line and ride it a few times. And maybe, uh, maybe something will happen. I was sort of an independent child. But I remember a lot of time went by. Uh, and I became to get very afraid. Uh, I became to get very afraid, and you kind of realized this wasn't worth it. This was not worth it at all. It's a great merry-go-round. It really only does one thing. And, you know, uh, but now I don't know where my family is, and, and it's not worth it. Um, and my Aunt Cindy was there, and she, to- she told me later that she remembered, well, Drew's been talking about the merry-go-round all day. Maybe he's there. So they came back and found me. And then, of course, the first thing that happened was the hug from mom that's really kind of a tight, angry, loving hug of, you're not leaving my sight for a while here. Um, But I remember thinking, the first thing I felt was fear. At first, it was like, I'm going to do what I want. I know what I'm going to do. I got this. I can see the merry-go-round. I can see a path. I can see my family. Nothing bad can happen from this. Uh, And I looked back, family's gone, and it was a lot of fear. Uh, And and praise God that they they found me at that point. Um, but in Luke 13, 31, Jesus tells a story of something similar. Luke 13, verse 31, it says, At that time, so right after Jesus finishes the story prior about make every effort, At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to Him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Uh, it actually is quite... Um, nice of the Pharisees to do this, it seems. We, we, we tend to paint a negative picture of the Pharisees, but not all Pharisees um, were evil. We, we do get a, a few like um, Nicodemus, some in the, San, uh, in the ruling council who end up believing Jesus. And it seems like they're actually concerned. Like, okay, Herod wants to kill Jesus. Jesus, you should leave. We don't want you, you know, to die. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem at this point. He's been teaching through the towns and villages. He's going on his mission to Jerusalem. The Pharisees come and say, Herod, wants to kill you. Verse 32. Jesus replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The title of my lesson and my one point is gather close to God. Gather close to God. To God, And, and so as, as Jesus hears this, that Herod wants to kill him. He says, go tell that fox. And we hear fox and a lot of, you know, maybe connotations come up. But really this idea of like this fox, even think of like in the, in the garden of God, it's kind of like a, a pest. You know, it's sort of like inconsequential, 
in the way. Herod's, and Jesus even kind of saying, go tell that fox, that's not my issue. Herod's not, that's not my, my problem. They're not going to kill me here. You know who's going to kill me? Jerusalem. And that's where I'm going. And even as he begins to think about that, it probably it cuts him. Because who should love him the most? Yeah. Jerusalem. The city, the center of the nation of Israel. God's chosen people to, to, to be an ambassador to the world to show what he's really like. The, the, the capital of that nation is the one that will kill and reject Jesus. And you sort of see it in his head as he says, listen, Jerusalem's going to kill me. And then he kind of exclaims, ah, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, I want you to be with me. I want to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but, but you're not willing. Yeah. And it's amazing of Jesus to use this metaphor because uh, I don't know a lot about chickens. You know, I'm not a chicken guy. I don't know. But my roommate did in Charlottesville. He, he liked chickens a lot, but it's a side point. But, uh, you know, a hen, keep, yeah, uh, but a hen, you know, is female. And Luke does this quite a lot. It's like this other idea of a mother. And in Luke 15, when Jesus is telling about all the lost, uh, all the lost sheep and the, the, the prodigal son, he also says uh, the kingdom of God is like, a, like a, a, a mother who has ten coins of a woman who has ten coins, loses one, and then searches to find it. He compares God to a woman during this time, kind of a new thing. Uh, he also, in Luke 4, when they don't, they don't have faith in his hometown, he says, listen, I know a woman who had faith. It was a widow in Zarephath. In 1 Kings, she had faith. And so he says, listen, you guys, you, you religious elite, there's a, in the Old Testament, a widow had more faith than you. And so they're like, oh, and they you know, want to kill him. And they react to that because Jesus says, look, this woman did an amazing thing. In Luke 7, who's our example of being cut by sin? It is the prostitute in Luke 7. It is the sinful woman who shows up and pours out the oil, who cries and wets Jesus' feet with her tears. And Jesus says, I tell you, she leaves here forgiven because she loved much. Amen. What mattered to Jesus so much? He tries, he's trying to get across this idea of love to us that is so foreign that we don't get it. I don't get the idea of a mother's love. I can't. I, I don't understand it. At the wedding yesterday, I, I, there's two mothers in, in the church in Charlottesville and and I saw how they were acting with their kids. You know, and I asked them, I said, well, I'm preaching a sermon and I'm trying to understand this idea of, of motherly love. I don't get it. But what's it like? And they were sharing, you know, one of them, uh, Carla Gaines shared, well, it's just protective. You, you, everywhere you go, you think, how's my son doing? Where is my son? Is he okay? You're constantly sort of checking. You know, I have two nieces back in Dallas and my sister's very much like that at church, right? Who's got my kid? You know, kind of thing. Who's holding them? Where is she? How's she doing? How's she feeling? But it's a constant awareness, and I was like, I don't think I feel that with really anyone. And then another, another uh, woman, uh, Lindsay Schaefer, she said, I was never prepared to have a child. She has a, a one-and-a-half-year-old Gabriel. I think it's about one or one-and-a-half Gabriel. And she said, I was never prepared for this kind of love. She's like, even the way I love my husband, I was never prepared to love. She's like, I love Gabriel so much. I can't even explain it to you in words. And I was like, oh, there you go. Amen. But she was like, I, I, I would do anything for him. And the way she spoke to me was it was a kind of love that I, I could not grasp. And here Jesus says, Jerusalem, I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. You're, you're like children to me. As Jesus says that, he's, he's cut and he's hurt. Because here Jesus is saying, listen, I, I want that word, um, I long to gather you, is this idea of Jesus is like, I choose you. I, I choose to gather you, but you have not chosen me. And it... As we sit here this morning, we I think, where are we coming from as a church? You know, Jerusalem was the religious center. That was it. That was the place. Think about a Sunday morning. That's a church. 
You know, for us, we have all these reasons in the world to go to Jesus. As you sit here this morning, listening to even just the scriptures, you have so much reason to go to Jesus. But, but we wander, don't we? We wander, just like me in Disneyland. We wander. Uh, and for all of us, we, we wander uh, away from God. And, we, and whatever way we do that, it's different. You know, sometimes for me it was, I kind of know the situation, I'll be all right. You ever feel like that? Well, okay, I know where God is. I know where my family is. They go to church. If I need him, I'll go back to him. And we feel that. We feel like, oh, okay, I know where God is. If I need God, I'll just, I'll go back. If, I, if things get really bad. But there's the, car- the carousel over there. It's what I want. It's what I desire. Let me go check it out. You know, a lot of us, you know, a lot of us feel like uh, it won't be that bad. And, you know, I want to experience this for myself. And, and we begin to wander. And any of us, that we, we wander from God and, and we, we turn around and, and he's not there anymore. And, we, and, and for a lot of us, the first thing we feel is that fear of, oh no, I'm separated. But what happens over time is we get callous to it. And we don't see it anymore. It's really difficult. Like you think about, who does our sin affect most? It's God. But we, we have trouble really feeling that, don't we? Like, it's, hard, it's, a hard, it's not a tangible thing. We really only see it when our sin hurts other people. And then it's just sort of a glimpse. You know, I know for myself... I have a really difficult time, you know, with, with my heart. And, 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 you know, the Bible says that sin will deceive. Uh, jot down Hebrews 3.12. says that, that, that you're hardened by sin's deceitfulness there in Hebrews 3.12. Uh, it says in uh, Hebrews 12.1 that sin entangles you. It trips you up. Uh, it, 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 sin entangles us. Uh, sin also, in Isaiah 59.1, it separates us from God. You know, sin has so many effects. But if we... If we drift from God, we begin to not see them. It's actually an effective strategy of Satan. Uh, Satan could give us 100% poison, but it's a much better strategy on Satan's end to give us 1% poison over a long period of time. And we will die from it, but it just takes longer and we can't see it. And we drift and, and we'll still die. And that's, that's Satan's strategy is to get us to drift from gathering close to God. And we've got to gather close to God. In the past week, I've seen this even in my own life. You know, uh, even in my dating relationship with Jenny, and she can sense when I, there's something in my heart. When there's sin, she knows. You know, and, and what do I say, though? I'm fine. Right? I'm okay. I'll be all right. I'll deal with it. But Jenny knows something's off because sin also does this with people. It separates us. It entangles us. It deceives us. And that's why the church is so important because we have each other to, 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 to bring that up, to say, listen, to even have people like Jesus to say, I want to be with you, but, but your sin is stopping it. I want to be with you, but your sin has deceived you. Your sin has entangled you. Your sin has separated us. Yeah. Even for Jenny recently, it didn't, uh, there was a situation where I was feeling so much and, and I wasn't dealing with it in my heart. And I began, I'd be saying, I'm all right, I'm fine, it's okay. And I began to give in to the selfish thing and say, you know what, I'm just going to sort of word vomit right now and just say what I want. And I saw the pain and the hurt on Jenny's face. And it wasn't until then that I realized, look what my sin has done. It's hurt someone. And that sort of jolted me back into reality of, oh my goodness, this is real. I'm not fine. I'm not okay. And I haven't been dealing with it. And for a lot of us, it takes that kind of moment where we see the pain in our mothers, our fathers, our friends, each other's eyes. But if they're feeling that, how much more does God feel that? How much more does Jesus feel that? We just had a great communion message. So that was awesome communion of what it was like to see Jesus take the sin away from us. What did Jesus feel when he saw my 
faithlessness? What did Jesus feel when he saw my lust? What did Jesus feel when he experienced my treachery? We can't, and we, we, we disconnect and we drift and we turn back and we go, where's God? What, where is he? He's been forsaken. You know, what is it for you this morning? How have you drifted from God? Because we're either gathering close to God or we're seeking shelter in our sin. This sin looks appealing, doesn't it? The carousel looks appealing. It does. It's like, oh man, look how awesome it is. I'm going to go check it out. I'll get a sense of it. And then I'll be right back. Nothing bad can happen. You know, sin doesn't fill. Sin will not fill you up. It won't. It deceives. It makes it worse. You keep pushing the limit. I was addicted to pornography for a long time. And I kept telling myself, oh, it's not that bad. I'll deal with it. I'll do it. No, it just gets worse. You keep pushing the limit. And you start fitting it into your schedule. And then you start deceiving others about how it is like, oh, and then you tell yourself, it won't affect the other aspects of my life. But it has to because sin spreads. That's what sin does. It spreads. And so I began to be more cynical and faithless around people. And they said, well, why? And I said, I don't know why, but I really knew why. Because the pornography was destroying my life. And I kept saying, I'm fine. I'll deal with it. I'll be okay. But I wasn't. And I was drifting from the Lord and I was taking others with me. Because sin spreads. So we were either gathering close to God or we're taking shelter in a sin. But you know what's great with God? Is that He's still willing. You know, right here, Jesus says, I long to gather you as the hen gathers her chicks. I want to be with you, Jerusalem. I want, that's what the idea of a hen, you know, gathering her chicks is this idea of protection. It's a, of love. That's what a mother's love is. As my mom squeezed my hand, it was, I'm going to protect my son. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. I'm going to watch over him. As I was writing this lesson last night, I got a text from my mom saying, how are you doing? Are you okay? You know? <laughs> and I was like, there it is right there. The protection. I get to get funny things. She's sometimes so like, Make sure you wear a seatbelt. And I'm 26. One time she said, one time she said, beware, beware of dairy. I was like, I don't know. Sure. Watch out for dairy. Um, but it's constantly like she's experiencing something. And she's like, I wonder if Drew has been affected by this. Let me reach out to him and protect him. Yeah, that's a mother's love. And it's unique and it's powerful and it's strong. But it's nothing compared to God's love for you. What has God done to get you to even sit here this morning? How many things did he have to set up just to give you an opportunity to reach out and find him? He loves you. And God has done it over and over again. Let's not forget, church. Let's not forget when Abraham was promised a child that Israel will be given. Genesis 22. God says, take that child and sacrifice him. Right. That's a moment where Abraham could have easily said, you know what? I know better here, God. And that's really the issue when we drift from God is we just are saying, I know better. Yeah. I know better. I'm going to check it out. I'll be fine. I'll deal with it. I got it. I know better. And Abraham could have said, I know better. But he says, no, we're going to go up to the mountain. And when Isaac says, Dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice for the burnt offering? Abraham says, God's going to provide it. I don't know how, but we're going. Abraham, he gathered close to God. And God delivered him. Now, let's not forget Genesis 38. Joseph. Everything's going bad for Joseph. He's given, and he's in charge of all of Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife says, come to bed with me. Sleep with me. He says, day in and day out, it it happened. Day in and day out. And what is Joseph's response? How could I do such a thing and sin against God? And he's punished for it. He goes to prison for it. 
But you know what he says is, God will take care of it. God will deliver me, and God does. He brings his brothers back, and Joseph's able to reconcile with them in tears and in love. Joseph gathered close to God, and God delivered. No, let's not forget Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. Everything's going bad for Ruth. There's a famine in the land. I don't even know what that's like. I fast for a day. It's tough. It's difficult. There's a famine in the land. It's difficult. Ruth, Ruth's husband is dead. Her, her, her mother-in-law is begging her to seek other romantic interests. Leave me. Go. Leave. Do the right thing. Take care of yourself. Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay with you. Your God is my God. I'm going where you go. Let's do it. She gathered close to God and God delivered. Amen. Amen. Let's not forget Ruth. Let's not forget Peter and John 6. John 6, when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And no one gets it. And it says, many leave. And Jesus says, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Peter says, to whom shall we go? We know that you are Lord and Christ. Peter chose to gather close to God and God delivered. You know, it doesn't mean that we're gonna, it's going to be easy. All those people I just mentioned, they went through things. And they all had a pretty legitimate claim at seeking out their own self-interest. And none of us would have probably blamed them. But they chose to gather close to God and not shelter in sin. Because a shelter in sin is just an oxymoron. You can't really shelter in sin. It's a, it's a, whole, it's a bad roof. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to work. It's rough. I don't know what that is. But, you know, we've we got to gather close to God because God's delivered over and over again. And He'll deliver for us. He'll deliver for us. But you're not willing. That's the problem this morning, church, is that you are not willing. You've seen God's promises. You read them in the scriptures. But you think, you know what? Uh, I really, you know, this is a convenient kind of situation for me. Let me kind of tweak this to my advantage. Get what I want. You know, I really want a romantic interest. I really want a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I really want kids. And I'll sort of fit God into that expectation as long as it's convenient. But the second times get tough, I'm out. We don't, we don't really love God, church. We don't, we have, we're not choosing Him. we got to love God no matter what. All those people I just mentioned, they, were, they thought they were going to lose what God had promised them. But God delivered. God will deliver for us, church. It may not be in the way you expect. A lot of us sadly have worldly expectations of what it means to be given what we want. But God is such something so much greater. I appreciated the contribution. We want the phone now. God wants to give us eternity forever. And as a kid, isn't that what what it is when you're with your mom and you want to see, but your mom understands, no, that's not good long term. You can't have that. You shouldn't have that. But we don't get it and we throw a fit and we lose it. But God loves us. God wants to shelter and protect us from sin. And we know that sin destroys. It devastates. Lying destroys. Impurity destroys, faithlessness kills, and God wants to protect us from that. But are we willing this morning to go to God and gather close to Him? Because the the problem is not God. God is willing, are you willing, to gather close to Him, to sprint back to Him, to go back to God, to be near Him. Because some of you this morning, you've been studying the Bible. And a lot of new things are coming up. You know, I'm encouraged. I asked him if I could do this. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by Jamal Archer. Right. He was right over here. He's got the sweet ba- uh, baseball hat there, fourth row. But he's at Christopher Newport University. And, and um, you know, we've been studying out the Bible, and, and, and I really see it. And it's awesome to see, but Jamal wrestles through the verses. 
And there's an inner turmoil of, I know this is what I want, but it's obvious this is what God wants. And he's been taking great steps in that direction. And I'm so encouraged by that because he's choosing, it's obvious, but he's choosing to gather close to God and to not shelter in this sin that he spent his whole life living in. And it builds my faith to see him take those steps. And I think, why can't I read my Bible more? Why can't I listen to that person who's brought up sin with me so many times? What is my excuse? Because those of us who have been around in the church longer, we're more like Jerusalem than anyone else. Because we take security in being Jerusalem. But Jesus says, it kills me because the people that should love me most are the ones that are going to kill me. The people that should love me most and, 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 and appreciate me for who I am are the ones that are going to torture me to death. They're the ones that are going to conspire to find something wrong with me. They're the ones who are going to sit, hit me and say, prophesy, who hits you? They're the ones who are going to, even after I rise again, are going to make excuses and attack and kill. And it kills Jesus in his heart. And church, we've got to ask ourselves this morning, how do you think you know better than God? Right. And that's the, that's the challenge. One thing, write down one thing where you've been choosing and you've been thinking you know better than God. Go to Job chapter 42. You know, Job had this problem. He lost everything. And it hurt. He lost his family. He lost his business. He lost his expectations. Try before Psalms. But Job challenges God. And he challenges God and God comes out and says, listen, you want to do this? We can do this. Do you, and, he, and he attacks him. He says, I know where the mountain goes give birth. I know how the seas formed. I know the cosmos. And especially now as we realize how big the universe is, God knows all that stuff. What do we know? I was in a fraternity and, and, and uh, guys would come to me a lot in my fraternity and ask me questions. And every time they would ask me a question, I would give them a scripture to answer. And one guy said, why do you keep giving me scriptures? Why can't you think for yourself? And I said, I don't want to think for myself. I want God to think for me. I did enough time in the past thinking for myself. It didn't help anyone. In fact, it hurt a lot of people and probably just helped them get to hell better. I'd rather have God think for me. And after God gets done sort of rebuking Job in Job 42, verse 1, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is, that? who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Wow. Things too wonderful for me to know. And as I looked at that carousel and I thought, it'll be alright, it's going to be worth it. Surely I spoke of things I did not truly understand. And as I looked at that pornography and said, it won't be bad, it won't affect me. I still fight that to this day. I am paying for my sin to this day. And how I view women and how I deal with situations, and how I view purity, that sin is still there. Praise God that I've been forgiven for it, and Jesus has paid for it. Praise God for it, but there are consequences to sin. There are con That's why Jesus wants to protect us and shelter us under His wing, because there are consequences to sin. And you can challenge God. You can think you know better than God. But there will be a time of reckoning. And what's great is that God's not saying, here's this list of rules, obey it, or, or I'm going to get angry with you. Jesus says, Jesus laments and says, I love you so much. Why can't you just love me back? Why can't you just come back? Because we think we know better. Because we're saying, I'm fine, I'll be okay, and I'm dealing with it. 
that's the challenge this morning, church, is, is imagine if. Imagine if all of us, we were gathering close to God. You know, when you gather close to someone, you, there's no secrets. You know them. You know, sometimes we would want there to be secrets, but there's no secrets. We gather close to people. We gather close to God, but there's intimacy. You know each other. So it's great about the church. If you're, if you're by yourself, in any regard, you're not gathering close to God. Be open about it this morning, because this is a gift. Do you know how rare this is on a Sunday morning? Does anybody know how rare this is? God's given us an amazing gift. Jesus has given us an amazing gift where you can probably grab anyone right here and just say, is it okay if I confess some sin in my heart to you? I need to get open. Grab grab them, do it. Gather close to God together. Grab someone, say, hey, can we pray for a moment? Gather someone, say, hey, can we set up a time to go share our faith this week? Grab someone and say, hey, can we just get lunch this week? We have this gift of God. And every time we do that, Jesus smiles and, and is grateful that we are gathering under his wing instead of thinking that we know best. So let's gather close to God, church, and to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.